Welcome to the Soul Connection Duo podcast. We are your hosts, Alexa and Sydney, and we are so excited to have you here with us today. Get ready to connect to your soul and start healing within. Today, our guest is Kathy McDaniel. Kathy is the author of the memoir, Misfit in Hell to Heaven Expat. While dying from lung failure in 1999, she was placed on a ventilator and into a drug-induced coma. A disturbing near-death experience occurred, and although mostly traumatic, the overwhelming bliss of heaven she also experienced shifted her religious beliefs into deep spirituality. Kathy credits the members of IANDS, International Association for Near-Death Studies, for her eventual integration of the disturbing near-death experience and the ability to accept the sacred mission that caused her reluctant return to Earth. She now shares her experience and its messages as a guest on various media and via her memoir, Misfit in Hell to Heaven Expat. Welcome to the Soul Connection Duo podcast, Kathy. We're so thrilled to have you here with us today. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for joining us, Kathy. Where are you joining us from today? I'm in Gig Harbor, Washington. It's a little town south of Seattle. Very okay. close to us. Well, close-ish. <laughs> we're, <laughs> close-ish. We're, we're, we're in BC, BC, Canada. So. Oh, okay. We're yeah. neighbors. Yeah, sure. pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, um, we'd love to hear a little bit more about you and your experience as much as you're willing to share. Obviously, you've written a book on it, so I'm sure you're pretty <laughs> open to talking about it now. Um, but can you just tell us a little bit about you? Um, sure. Um... First of all, my dad was in the military, so we did a lot of moving around as a child. I lived from the East Coast, the West Coast, and also in the Midwest, so that that uh, kind of helped shape me somewhat. Um, my dad was an atheist when uh, he was a young man, and then when he was in World War II, his plane, he was a fighter pilot, got shot down over the Philippines and landed upside down on a battlefield, and uh, so he prayed. He said, God, if you're really out there and can get me out of this mess, uh, I'll become a Catholic. And uh, as if a miracle, some Marines ran out from the jungle and helped him out of the plane and drove him into the um, back to get get medical care. And he finally got back to Hawaii. But so I was raised um, as a Catholic and, and always went to Catholic schools and, and uh, church. And my parents were very much into the religion. So that's a, a big part of um, my background. Then when, uh, oh, I was about 53, my best friend, someone who I'd been engaged to for seven years and mm. uh, was very close. Uh, he had, we were living on the West Coast and he got a job transfer to the East Coast. So we stayed friends, but we couldn't keep the relationship going. He got leukemia mm. and uh, he was only 52, 53 and he needed a couple of caregivers to go to a research hospital in Seattle. So um, he wanted two caregivers. He asked me to be one and I said, sure. So we went out there for what we thought was gonna be about two or three months, but it ended up being almost nine months. And it was pretty traumatic, uh, not a lot of sleep, um, a lot of stress. So when he died, I was just a mess. And uh, I caught a flu that was going around and it was kind of like COVID and it went to my lungs and in very short order, I found myself in the hospital um, going to be put on a ventilator. 
they, uh, this was 23 years ago and they didn't really know how to um, help people. They just <laughs> crossed their fingers, you know, and tried all kinds of things. So when, uh, just before the doctor put me out, he told me they were going to give me something called white amnesia and that I would remember nothing that happened in the coma. I would just, I would just go to sleep with this medication. And when I, if, and when I awoke for the coma, uh, I wouldn't remember anything, but that's not what happened. Um, I was in the coma. I don't know when, but I woke up and it was uh, totally dark and totally quiet. And I had no idea what was going on that's when the NDE started. And it was, uh, it's interesting because on the other side, there's no time. So when people say, well, how long were you there? It was like forever, <laughs> but, but then you come back. So it's, it's, it's um, there are, the words don't match in eternity to what we got here. And so um, it took me a long time to, um, about 10 years, to find somebody who'd listen to me. You know, everybody said, I don't want to hear about hell. That was just a bad dream. Or maybe it was the drugs. And, uh, you know, it just didn't fade. And I mm -hmm. thought, no, this, this is something else. And, um, but, but certain synchronicities started happening. And I found myself at the IANS meetings up there. And, and uh, at first I was put off because everybody was telling all these wonderful stories about angels, you know, and rainbows and music. And I'm going, eh. <laughs> what happened to me and I didn't feel like I fit in but finally somebody uh, grabbed me and said uh, what's going on and they uh, strong-armed me into telling my my uh NDE because they thought it would be fun <laughs> you know wow we never get to hear about the you know, disturbing ones this will be great and I thought well bring popcorn I mean she's <laughs> I didn't think it was so much fun um but it it turned out to be wonderful because they just totally believed me and, and accepted me and, and helped me find books about other people that had had these disturbing ones. And um, it, it really saved my life. I was going nuts. Literally. Yeah. Uh, so that was wonderful. And that was uh, about 12 years ago. And uh, just last weekend, I was up in Seattle again. I was, had been traveling and I was going to be there for their monthly meeting and they wanted me to come tell my story again 10 years later so that was really cool to see how much had changed in 10 years but that's a long time you know mm -hmm. i'm now 76 so i'm no spring chicken anymore but um <laughs> i was i was told that i had to um i had a mission i had to come back they threw me out of heaven mm -hmm. and said uh, i had to come back and, and, and tell what i learned and, and basically, I, I learned that God was all loving and all forgiving and never condemned anybody. And that what I experienced was more or less a projection. Um, all my life, I had been told I would go to purgatory when I died and then, you know, get my sins burned off so I could go to heaven and be pure before God. And I, I bought it. And so I wasn't disappointed. Uh, I actually went there, but I, I, I know now that I uh, made it myself. So that's what I'm kind of back to tell people. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it. God loves you. You're going straight to heaven, no matter who you are. Yeah, it's like really interesting because it's true. Usually when you hear about NDEs, it's this 
really euphoric and wonderful experience. So um, you do believe that you kind of, that, that you made that experience for yourself based off of your beliefs prior to having your NDE? Yeah, um, being an INS is wonderful. I mean, there's thousands, thousands and thousands, millions of people actually on the planet right now who've had NDEs and they all come back pretty much with the same message. Um, I love it when I hear that the atheists, you know, atheists, many of them don't believe in God at all. And, you know, the first thing that happens to them is they're up there wandering around talking to Jesus or they're, you know, doing it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> um, so that's, it's, it's just become, I guess, from reading to um, that we, we plan our lives. It, that's just everybody says that you we're all just our souls or pieces of God and we start off in, in heaven and we plan our lives things we want to learn things we want to experience and then we come down and do that and then we go back home and uh, we get a life review which is not a judgment it's just to kind of uh, it's like taking a test and, and you want to see the answers and you want to see how you did and uh that you know that's that's as bad as it gets and that's not bad when you learn something and um I I just I look forward to going back I really do mm -hmm. um I was I was told that probably uh I did plan to do that you know uh several people including someone in a book said that the people that go into the dark places that come back with dangerous or horrific or difficult lessons are the brave souls. Mm -hmm. So I, I try and uh, console myself with, well, I'm as a brave soul. They have said, somebody needs to do this. I raised my hand and I did it. <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes I, I say, uh, what was I thinking? You know, when <laughs> I did that, but, but now, you know, I, you were talking about how many podcasts I've, I, I've lost, almost lost count. I'd have to look it up. It's around 82 podcasts. Wow. And speaking engagements, radio shows all over the world, which uh, uh, when I was when I was up there, the person that I saw in heaven was my my fiance, my best friend, the one who had died the month before me. He's the one that said, you got too much left to do. Mm -hmm. And he had been showing me something on this in this great big, huge book. And um, I remember saying to him, no, that's going to be too hard. I want to stay here with you. Um, and it's they kind of do a mind wipe, you know, when you come back, because it's like cheating, if you know everything that's going <laughs> to happen. But um, I thought, you know, especially when I woke up out of that coma in the hospital, and I weighed 86 pounds, and I couldn't move anything but one finger and blink. And this, you've got too much left to do is still echoing in my head. And I thought, you know, <laughs> I can't even breathe by myself. How am I going to do anything? Mm -hmm. But um, after quite a bit of time, I got got myself together. And then 10 years later, I found Ions. And then um, I had a phone call from Kirstie Salisbury, well, an email from New Zealand. And she said, I want you to be on my podcast. And I said, what's a podcast? And then she says, well, I, I, I like to interview uh, NDEers. And, um, and I, I heard through the grapevine and I thought, in New Zealand? <laughs> that that uh, you had a, a difficult one and I'd sure like to hear about it. And that was the beginning. And, you know, over the last two and a half years, you know, people find me. I have to put a little effort into it. I belong to a couple of podcast groups, but um, 
I've been able to get the word out, something that's miraculous, you know, mm. considering COVID made it passable for so many of us to be talking face to face to one another without even getting on a plane. It's marvelous. Totally. Yeah. And like, I'm sure you've helped so many people too by obviously sharing your disturbing near death experience, like Lex was saying. Majority of the things you see in documentaries or read in books or hear people talking about on podcasts are about this like incredible, um, you know, beautiful, non traumatizing experience. And so, like, when we came across you, um, I mean, we haven't had anyone on yet to talk about like a nice near-death experience um but we came across you and I was like that's so interesting because I've never heard of that happening to someone um and I'm sure a lot of people who have been through something like disturbing near-death experience probably are like you said kind of reluctant to share that right especially when it's traumatizing so it's nice you had that support to kind of help you share your story and I'm sure I've gone through something really traumatic a few years ago and I did find by sharing my story, it, it did help me heal too. So hopefully that's kind of been the same for you as well as like that writing experience with the book. Would you be able to share little bits and pieces about kind of what that experience was like? Totally fine if you're not willing, but oh, no, no, um, I'm super willing. interested yeah. to hear more about um, what both sides, hell and heaven were like for you. Okay. Um, what's interesting, I've had a lot of time to think about it, but uh, in, in making my own hell, um, I look back now, uh, having read, read the story so many times myself over and over trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. I took the really hellish things that happened to me on earth, and then I blew them up really big. And then they became scenarios. Oh, okay. I've, ta I've, I've talked to and heard of other people say that the same thing happened to them. They had segments. They would be here and then they would be there. And, and we were trying to figure out what, what would cause that, you know? But now, um, like the very first, well, uh, the first thing that happened is that I was in this dark place and then it started getting a little bit lighter, but in kind of a reddish glow. And then I saw this fog and then I, uh, heard some shrieking and moaning and I thought oh gosh this can't be good and then this horrible voice came booming out of the fog do you know where you are you know and I thought uh hell and then it went whoa oh. so that was a nasty yeah. way to start but so again I, I never felt dead that's a lot of people say that because your soul is you mm -hmm. you know your body isn't you so when your soul is someplace, it's your personality and you. And so I, I went running in, in a way from this voice. And the first place I found myself was this completely destroyed city. Um, it was, you know, it was like dusk and there was fires and all the big, it was like New York or somebody and they dropped a atomic bomb on it. And, and there was just broken buildings and, and uh, people screaming and fires. And I mean, boom, to be just, drop down into that situation uh, was terrifying, you know? And um, so I, I tried to hide and then these, I think people came up and they were staring at me. And then I said, well, maybe we could get things together, water and food. And they said, we are all alone here. And so I went to run away from them. And then I 
I crawled up this wall and I fell on my back and then everything went black. And then again, the lights would come up and I would be in another segment. Um, the next, the first time I saw a demon was uh, I opened, you know, the lights came up and I looked straight ahead, but I had to look straight up because this great big creature was in front of me. It looked like Bigfoot, you know, except mean with kind of tattered clothes and this big stick. And I was, you know, kind of like, oh, expletive, you know, uh, and, uh, and he said, uh, you want to get out of here? And I thought, that's odd. He's speaking perfect English. Um, I said, yes. And he says, well, I've got a job for you. You do this job and I'll see to it that you get out. And I thought, well, okay, what is it? So he waves his hand and this, the lights come up and there's this huge blackberry field as far as you can see. Well, I live in Washington. There's a mm. lot of blackberry bushes and they, they get big and they take over yeah. everything, you know, and to cut them down, they're big, thick canes, you know. And so I looked at that and I thought, I just looked back at him and he handed me these little scissors that kids use to cut paper. Oh, no. And he starts chuckling, you know, ha, 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 this is a funny ha, ha. And I thought, you jerk, you know, okay. You know, and he says, just give up, just despair. You're never getting out of here. And I said, no. I'm, a deal's a deal. So I screeched down inside there, all getting all cut up from those little thorns and mm -hmm. tried to cut this, this really thick vine. And finally I got it cut and I went to put it behind me so I could get the next one. And when I turned around, it grew back oh. all the way. And this creature is laughing, belly laughing now. I thought, no, no. <laughs> and I knelt down to the cut again, just to be mean and, and obstinate. And, and uh, boom, the lights went out. Boom, the lights came up. So this happened a lot of times. So the only thing I couldn't pinpoint to what happened in my life was this first scene with a, the burned out city and, and all of that until like two months ago. You know, mm -hmm. this is but 23 years later, it finally dawned on me. And it's in the book. I was in a terrible earthquake in Santa Cruz, California, um, back in 89. It was a seven point. And our downtown fell. Uh, half the buildings came crashing down. The house, a couple of blocks down, exploded because the gas went off. There was fire engines, people screaming and running up and down. And I thought, oh, my God, it was the earthquake. That was the last piece. So everything else I was able to um, track back. Uh, so I, that's another thing that said, well, Kathy made your own hell. That's what, what you can do. So again, skip the trip. Nobody needs to go there. <laughs> Stop <laughs> believing in it. I, I've had a real trouble remaining a Catholic after all of this. And um, I finally was able to let it go with COVID when I didn't have to go to mass on Sunday. You know, it was just always that still that thing about, well, that's a mortal sin or you'll have to, you'll have to go to purgatory again or, and, and to finally be around enough people that say, you know, religion is too exclusive. Um, the Bible stories don't make sense. They didn't ever make sense to me, but the only two I can really hang on to now are, uh, the Sermon on the Mount and the Prodigal Son, those really ring true for me. I've done a lot of reading about early Christianity and how, how the church came to be over thousands of years. 
and um, I, I can understand how it happened, but um, I'm just not a member anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's been a big change in my life, and that's been tough on my family. Uh, my mom and sister are still very devoted, and so when I go down and visit them in Santa Cruz, uh, I've been usually go monthly or every other month. I'll go to church with them, and uh, me and God talk, <laughs> and it's all cool. I mean, I'm not trying to you know rock anybody's boat, but for me, it just didn't work. Yeah, I can see how that would be difficult to just follow the teachings of the church after having those experiences. I also grew up Catholic and. I think through a lot of my own experiences too, I've not, I've not had an NDE before, but um, just throughout life experiences, it's like, ah, that, those parts don't make sense. And, you know, some of, some of them do, um, but yeah, it was definitely a part of my upbringing and I'm thankful for the community that it brought me about um, or around as I was growing up, but now that's definitely not part of my every week either is attending mass or anything like that. Um, so that was your experience on the hell side of things. How did you find yourself then getting heaven. into heaven? Yeah, that was awesome. Well, like I say, I kept having all these. I, I was expecting when the last chapter happened to just hopefully go to another one because that was a really bad place to be. Um, but all of a sudden when the lights went out and the lights came up, you can hear the emotion. Um, there was just this infusion of love and bliss that just, just felt like my heart was going to explode. And, and I felt like I was just swimming every molecule of my body which i thought i still had was just filled with this love and joy and everything that had happened before was just erased it was gone there was no room for it just this wonderful bliss and it was bright and and it was it was just so joyful and i i was just kind of looking around and the bright light had kind of subdued a little bit so it looked like i was in this big i don't know cathedral or something it was just white like marble everything was white and I and I noticed out of the corner of my eye a, a darker something darker and it was this big architect's table with a huge book on it halfway open and I remembered saying I was I was being shown something that book and I don't remember what it was you know gosh darn it was important and then I looked up and then there's my friend I mean he had died the month before he had leukemia and he, you know, his hair had all fallen out. His face was all blotchy and his eye was all swollen and infected. And, and now here he looked fantastic. Instead of 53, he looked about 35 and his gray hair was brown and, and he was in casual clothes and he was wearing a sweater vest that I gave yeah. him for Christmas. And, Aww. and he was so happy to see me. And I, you know, again, I never thought I was dead in any part of this. And so when I looked at him all happy and I thought, oh, he doesn't know he's dead, you know, and he started laughing. And I thought, wait a minute, he heard me. And I didn't say that out loud. And he's going like, yeah, yeah. Do you get it? Do you get it? You know, in his, in his face. And I thought, oh, oh my gosh, I'm dead. Oh, terrific. Oh, this is great. 
and I'm here with you. And, and, you know, and, and, and so in my mind, I, I said, well, what are we doing standing here? I mean, you know, where are the butterflies and the rainbows and stuff? Let's go see stuff. And then he just came a little closer, not so close that I could touch him, but he said, now, Mary Kay, you've got too much left to do. Wow. Talk about cold water in the face. (laughs) And I thought, oh, I hope I got this wrong. And and he didn't say anything more. And I just said, no, (laughs) absolutely no. I remember crossing my arms. I stamped that foot that I didn't have. And I said, no. And he just smiled Hmm. and poof, (laughs) it was somewhere else. And I think God gave me a timeout because it was not probably good for me to go back as angry as I was. And I got a lot of people do get this. It's like the border, the edge. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a beautiful meadow. It was gorgeous with, with the flowers and, and all that stuff. But I wasn't in any mood to appreciate it. And there was this stream. It wasn't very uh, wide, wide. And it was probably just a couple inches deep. But it had the little river rocks in it. And you know how it sounds. with It, it sounds so lovely. And it, it was a spring day. So I thought... I thought I'd, well, I, I felt compelled to, to walk down, follow the stream. Well, it went downhill, obviously out of heaven. And I was just following it around. And uh, all of a sudden I looked up and here's this lady standing there and she's got, I don't know, a, a little homemade quilt or something. And I thought, this is odd. And she's speaking in a language I didn't understand. It sounded Scandinavian to me. And she was you know, gave me this thing. And I thought, what do I do with this? And she points downstream. So I thought, all righty. So I'm trying not to fall on the rocks and I keep going down, down, down and come around a corner. And there's like a little sandbar or something. And there's a lady in a rocking chair, an older lady, and she's waving. I thought, what the heck? I'm waving back. And and she gets up, comes over and she's got, oh, I don't know, like a negligee and stuff. And I thought, this is stuff you give people for a trousseau, you know, for when you're going to get married, what's up with this, you know, and then she's speaking in in the Scandinavian language. And so now I've got this, I throw that over the other shoulder and I I continue walking down and sure as can be, here's this third lady. She gives me something else. And then she, she was speaking what sounded like Norwegian or Swedish, but then all of a sudden she said in English, uh, she handed me something, a piece of paper. It says, you must give this to a, a guy who I had been dating uh, for the last couple of months. Uh, and you must give this to him. And you tell him we must live together. And I thought, sure, whatever, you know. And so as I came around the corner, the lights came up. Mm-hmm. And um, I looked up and <laughs> who are these people, <laughs> you know? And 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 my daughter turned around and says, "Oh my God, mother's back!" And I thought, "Oh no, you know." And they're coming around, and oh, we thought we lost you. And we're so glad you're here. And I thought, "Why can't I move? Why is it so hot? Why can't I talk? This is just too weird, and I don't want to be here." And um, she sat down and said, "Well, you know, you've been real sick, rah rah rah, and then you've lost a lot of weight being on the nasal." in tube and you weigh 86 pounds you have no muscle mass you have you can't move because of that you've still got the trach in your throat that's Mm -hmm. why you can't talk and we're so glad you're here and it was like (laughs) ah i was so angry (laughs) 
I was so oh, no. disappointed and I was just so sad. And I, thank God I couldn't talk to anybody. I mean, my mom was saying, oh, we had a prayer circle going around the world and we brought you back. And I just wanted to strangle her. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Later on, it was so funny. It took a long, long time to get mm-hmm. grounded and to realize I wasn't going to go back till I got this nebulous, too much left to do stuff done and I I was you know I was pretty crabby about it for a long time and one time I was talking to my mom on the phone and I said you know mom if this ever happens to me again don't save me don't bring me back and she says darling don't worry about we won't <laughs> you know, you've been such a brat about the whole thing oh my gosh <laughs> you go so I had to laugh about that and I mean uh, it's just been tough. It's yeah. been tough, but you know, once I, I thought, well, I better find out what this is. I got to do so I can get it done and go home. Mm-hmm. And then things started happening. You know, I got this like airplane ministry, which was weird. Um, when I get on an airplane, I, I don't like to talk to people. I just, you know, put my Kindle in my face, but uh, <laughs> it started happening when I was going down to see my mom every month. You know, I fly down for two hours, fly back for two hours. Um, almost every time, one way or both ways, somebody would sit next to me that needed to talk. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they'd start off with something like, um, Why, are you going home? Are you still, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know. I, I no, I'm not, you know, what are you doing? You know, and she says, well, I just came from my mom's funeral and I'll never see her again. And then she burst into tears and it's like, yeah, you will. Yeah. And goes, what? And I said, I, I was there. I says, I know you're kidding. Tell me about it. This happened so often. I can't, it was just a joke. Oh I could, I got to the point where when I was sitting in the waiting room, ready to board the most obnoxious person in the whole waiting room, the one that wanted to bring the dog or she wanted to change her seat or whatever. That's the one. I, and they get on the plane, they come down the aisle, they sit right next to me. It became, you know, not a joke, but a funny. And um, I would wait for them to say something. And invariably they did. Two different separate occasions, women had me, I've got to introduce you to my husband. I can't believe it. So they dragged me down to the baggage claim and I'd have to meet their confused husband who's trying to figure out this story their wife's telling them about, you know, whatever. And they'd give me a hug and say, you know, I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't met you today. Mm-hmm. And that, that became kind of my signal. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I get to cross one person off of my list. And every time I hear that, which is often, uh, even especially with the podcast, I'll get a, a note from somebody saying, I really needed to hear what you had to say, or, mm-hmm. you know, you saved my life or, or whatever, turning people over to IONS. And um, now I'm a host, host for um, a program on IONS. They have all kinds of sharing groups on there. Anybody can get on ions it's a wonderful resource for people but i have a show specifically for people who've had distressing near death experiences because the statistics are something like one in ten people mm. have some sort of, of disturbing thing happen in an nde but they don't want to talk about it mm-hmm. so in our in our group it's usually a small group you know two four six eight people and uh, it's a safe place to just cry you know and and rail and uh be angry and to be confused and it's people that get it you Mm -hmm. know yeah 
it's, that's been marvelous to have people say, oh my God, I'm, I'm so glad I found you people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been great. Wow. It's, yeah, it's, community it's, is huge. So it's, it's a blessing. Amazing. You know, yeah. I look back now and I said, that was probably the most important thing that ever happened in my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I planned it. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I can only imagine, um, obviously, how difficult that must have been waking up and like learning how to walk again and all these things on top of this like distressing um, event also that happened as well as having family too that I'm sure that was probably hard to share with. I don't know how long it took you to they be won't able listen. To they that wouldn't listen. Yeah. They wouldn't listen. So when I finally wrote the book 20 years later, yeah. Um, my dad read it and, uh, the rest of them think wow. I'm crazy. Wow. That's crazy. I'm so glad that group exists for these kind of people. That was actually one of my questions was if you knew yeah. the statistics of how many people did have that. Cause I was like, it has to be low. Cause I've other than you, I've never heard of that happening. I obviously haven't done a ton of research into it, but just from all the things I've seen, it's always these incredible experiences. So yeah. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing and helping. This is a great opportunity people. for me to get, get to uh, reach more people out there. So you're doing a really good service with this. And I thank you very much for taking a chance on me. Yes. Thank you. And what do you think? Um, I don't know if you can answer this, but like you were saying, you you signed up for this, your soul signed up for this. Why do you think you did that? And what is like your greatest lesson, I guess, from that difficult experience? Uh, if there's- I can look back now and see like um, my first baby, she, she died when she was two days old and it was mm-hmm. a horrible experience. Poor little thing had all kinds of internal birth defects. It was just horrendous. And it was the mm-hmm. first time that I felt like God was picking on me. You know, I was praying, praying, praying through this whole pregnancy and I was so angry with God. And why would you do this to me? You know, I've always been your fan, you know, man, what's going on with this? It was a really tough time. Um, So what I learned later, uh, a year or two later, was two of my best friends would lose babies. Mm -hmm. And I can remember one of them uh, calling me up. (laughs) She said, I'm so sick of people calling me up and say, I know how you feel because they don't. And uh, when I talk to you, I know, you know how I feel. And it's such a comfort. And so there's an empathy that mm-hmm. comes from suffering that, that, that allows you to be empathetic rather than just sympathetic. Sympathetic is almost worse than anything. Yeah. I mean, uh, and I really, I had people tell me and, and my friends, well, don't worry, you'll have another child. That's the stupidest thing you can say to a mother who's just lost an individual human personality that it can be replaced like a puppy. Yeah. I mean, nobody can even replace a puppy with a dog that they've had for 13 years. So um, there's an empathy that, that comes when I was in the hospital and unable to talk or walk or move or do anything. They'd strap me in a, in a uh, wheelchair to take me down to get lung x-rays. I don't know how many of those I had. And I was a skeleton and I was like a rag doll and people wouldn't look at me. They'd avert their eyes. And one little girl was waiting in line with her mother and she looked at me and I tried to smile, but there was this grimace because I I didn't have any, you know, I look like a skeleton. And she started shrieking, this little Mm -hmm. child hanging on. Her mother turns around and says, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she looks up at me 
in the wheelchair and she looked down at the little girl and says, it's not polite to stare, you know? So boy, do I look at people in wheelchairs? I always say, hi, homeless people sitting on the street. Hi, you know, how are you doing? Uh, good morning. Um, I learned that because it happened to me. Mm-hmm. So anytime you have some sort of disaster in your life, um, if, you, if you're, you're kind with yourself about it, you give it a little time to, to simmer out, it turns out that that becomes a blessing because now you can be of, of service, of comfort to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I look at everything differently now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a victim because I chose it myself, mm-hmm. you know, and it was for a lesson. So instead of saying, gosh, darn it, why did I have to crash the car or whatever? I think, okay. There's a lesson, something good's going to come from that. It takes a lot of the stress out of living. Mm-hmm. Um, I just let God be God. God is not Santa Claus. Every time you pray to God, he's not going to fix it because we've got free will and we chose it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I get these conversations with God and, and like one in the book, I said, you know, I'm praying like hell here and you've gone deaf. What is what's up? And God says, you know, I gave you free will. You chose this for a reason and I'm not going to mess it up because you're just going to have to learn it all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes my life so totally different. Um, a lot less stressful. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping people will be able to pick up on some of this and it'll ease their minds a little bit. For sure. Yeah, I definitely do understand that like empathetic peace versus sympathy. Um, I went through something really hard too. And sometimes I just found, you know, people want to say something or they want to do something to help, but oftentimes it's not the most helpful thing or the right thing that should be said. And people, I think they come from a good place in their heart. They just truly don't know, like you said, until you've been through something, whether it's a near-death experience, loss, whatever, trauma, um, it's really hard to kind of understand until you've you've been through something like that so I 100% agree and can definitely resonate with that so thank you for sharing that yeah I think I I read read a book one time about the things to say uh when something happens and and Mm -hmm. pretty much what you see on television when they have a show and then the cop says I'm so terribly sorry yeah and that's that's about all you can do. And, you know, yeah. just a gentle touch. And it's, I'm so sorry. Yeah. So less sorry is, less is more sometimes. For yeah. Sure. yeah. Yeah. Let them have their grief. You're not going to be able to talk them out of it. That's just cheating them. Yeah. And it's not recognizing what they're going through. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious, Kathy. We're disappointed when you came back to this reality. And so I know that's a big fear for a lot of people is, death or dying and that can be something that people struggle with in this lifetime is like that fear of actually leaving their physical body and it sounds like you don't have any fear surrounding the the next time that you do leave your body um (laughs) I'm looking forward to it (laughs) yeah you know and it, it helps like my dad god bless him um he's here with me in spirit um when he died, well, he was the only one that read the book and mm-hmm. he had had that conversation with God, you know, and, and uh, he listened very carefully to what I said. And I, I, I worked with hospice for a couple of years after I came back because I, I wanted to be with these dying people. I was so jealous. 
<laughs> I just wanted to be with him. And, it, you know, it was really a comfort to a lot of them. This one particular guy, he was freaking out. And I thought, oh, I'm so jealous of you. You know, and he said, what? <laughs> you know, and so at, at the end, you know, just before I left, he was just getting ready. And he, and I, you know, you're going to see your friends, you're going to see your pets, you're going to, you know, you're going to be 35 years old. You know, you're, I'm so jealous. So anyway, that was cool. Um, with my dad, um, we talked about it quite a bit. He was 97 when he died a year and a half ago of COVID. Um, but when I had told him now, uh, per hospice and, and other people, uh, when you're getting ready to go, they always send somebody to come get you. All right. There's usually, there's at least one, usually two. And sometimes people get a whole room full. And, and a lot of these hospice uh, workers, especially in hospice house, that's where I was uh, volunteering. They see this a lot. So that generally when people are passing, they look up to the ceiling, most of the time to a corner, and then they get a big smile because they see people coming and the hospice workers have gotten so they can see the light entering the rooms. Mm -hmm. And so I told dad, you know, that it's, it's gonna be uh, you know, at least one or two people. So when he was at my sister's house dying, they let him come home because my mom, my sister, my brother-in-law, they all got COVID, which was a blessing because he got to come home instead of dying by himself. Yeah. So he was on he was on his last puffs of oxygen and uh, uh, he was a little little nervous, you know, a little cautious and holding on everybody's hands. And all of a sudden, my everybody in the room says he all of a sudden he he looked up at the ceiling, he jerked his head back into the ceiling and looked in the corner and got this huge smile on his mm -hmm. face and closed his eyes and left. Aww. And uh, that was so cool. And then a couple of days later, I was talking to my publisher, who was a medium. She sees spirits and hears spirits. And we were talking about our contract. We were going to change things. And, and all of a sudden, she says, well, who's Mary? Out of nowhere. And I said, me, Mary, Mary Kathleen. No, the other Mary. And I says, oh, that's my dad's mom. Why? Oh, never mind. I said, what? Oh, so she says, all right, does your dad have a sister? And I says, well, yeah, yeah, Virginia. Was she dead? <laughs> she was such a cut and dry lady. <laughs> And I said, yeah, why? Well, your dad's here. And I said, what? My dad's here? She says, yeah. And he wants you to know that his mom and his sister came to get him Aww. and that he's, he's, he's doing great. And I, 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 I didn't know what to say. I said, don't let him go. And she says, uh, all right, he's holding up an apple. What's that mean? And I said, oh, just before he died the last week, all he could, my sister would peel him and cut him up slices mm -hmm. of Fuji apple and he would just suck on him. That was the last thing he would eat. Aww. And she says, he's shaking his head. He just wanted you to know it was really him. Ah, uh, that was so cool. Yeah. So cool. So he's with me a lot. I've got a picture of him over my desk here. And um, yeah, we spend a lot of time together. That's so comforting mm -hmm. to know that your loved ones um, uh, are with you. I mean, yeah. I was doing some seminar or something not too long ago on Zoom and, and this uh, lady said, oh, I, I see. No, it was a podcast. She says, your father's here. And I said, really? And she says, Is he, he's got a really nice smile, right? And I says, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's so friendly. He's so cute. And he says, she says, oh my God, you've got so many people around you. You've got a crowd. And I thought, hey, because <laughs> you know? I always invite all my deceased relatives and everything to get in the car, let's go someplace. Uh, and they really do. Mm -hmm. So that's so nice to know you're never alone. Do you believe in like a reincarnation as well that like we meet up with these souls when we go to heaven or whatever people may want to call that place and then 
we see these same souls do you think we come back in these soul groups with with people and as we make these contracts to be in this physical form totally from what i've i've learned from other people um you know that have been there and, and experienced those things I, I i've been told like sometimes you'll be, I don't know, you meet somebody in, in a group and you go, don't I know you? You know, I know you from somewhere, you know? Mm -hmm. And I believe too that like the three of us made a contract, you know, when we were up there, you know, we're friends and all that, but uh, this this incarnation, we're only going to be together an hour, hour and a half, but at least we'll check in. So I'm just saying, hi, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, did, we planned this and we pulled it off. And I think that's great. I, another thing is like, when I'm traveling or um, I just got through going through the, the Grand Canyon and Bryce Canyon and, and Zion. And I know I was there before, you know, I just know I was more than likely an indigenous person. And cause I felt like I, I was comfortable in some of these positions. I I'd lived there before. So that's kind of a fun thing too. People say we do. Yeah. So eye-opening and incredible to just, I mean, we're 28 years old, so we're starting this a little earlier in life um, than I think some people have, but I think a lot of people are catching on to it now as well that are younger, which is really incredible, but um, it, it definitely does make you view life in a different way for sure so it's it's amazing that we get to talk to people like yourself week after week who have you know are so willing and open to share these experiences and you know kind of help us and also our listeners um just kind of you know like open that side that there um you know there is a possibility for some of these like really incredible and um experiences and learning lessons to happen throughout our lives and like you said we do typically sign up for all of them as <laughs> shitty as they might be sometimes I've been there and it's still going through it and I will for the rest of my life but I've learned so much from it as well at a young age so yeah yeah, you've got a you've got a leg up on on us people that don't learn this until our fifties. <laughs> you know, it, it's very it's a blessing. That yeah, you... and and how long did it take you to write the book? Just out of curiosity, and how <laughs> did you find the writing process? Well, I've always been a writer. I, I kept okay. diaries. Uh, I I was uh, yeah, I just always loved writing. And when I got back, I I thought if I could just write all this stuff down, maybe I could get it out of my head. You know, mm -hmm. just stick it in a drawer and be like a bad dream but it just didn't go away so I just kept writing yeah and then uh, finally when I was at one of the IONS conferences oh I guess it's been almost three years ago now I met my publisher she had a little little booth you know and she'd been in the publishing business for a long time and uh, she wanted to go out on her own so she was looking for her first victim <laughs> and I kept walking by her booth and I put my face, you know, I, I ditched her because I had been hearing, you know, you, you get the voice, you know, when you get back, you can really hear this voice. And it was always saying, you got to write a book. You got to write a book. You need to write a book. And it was like, no, 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 no. That's like, it sounds like work. Uh, so the, so the, the last day of the conference, we were leaving and, and uh, I walked by her booth. She was putting everything away and she stepped right in front of me and she says, you need to write a book. And I thought, 
ah, who is this woman? And then she, she was a medium. And so she said, I, you know, I don't know how many of them, you know, got together and says, stop that woman. So anyway, she says, here's my card. And I said, yeah, sure. And I threw it in the drawer when I got home. But then the voice kept saying, you need to write a book, you need to write a book. So I gave her a call. She had a lot of contacts, but it was difficult, man. You think you just sit around and sit down and write a book, but that's, that's the no. beginning. And again, it's about getting the message out. And I'm yes. cool with that. Yeah. And even between, you know, podcasting, we're so thankful. You're so willing to come on and share that and the book and, you know, especially if people listen and resonate or want to give it to someone who's, you know, been through something similar or difficult, you know, it, it, that networking process too is huge. So, yeah. 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 You know, uh, the universe takes care of it. Mm-hmm. We just have to show up. That's what I tell myself that all the time. Every time I'm on a podcast, just show up and talk, yeah. you know, I, you get inspired, you know, it's not you doing it, you know, it's a, it's a combination effort with your spiritual side too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's all good. Like you guys, you showed up, you're doing what you should be doing. You're, you'll, the people coming to you will be the ones that, that you need to have on for your audience. And it's all good. Mm-hmm. Good for you. I'm proud of you guys. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's always amazing. Um, the different guests we get to talk to and you're right. It's like the universe will bring the people your way that you need to talk to. And we learn something unique from every single guest we take we bring on here so we appreciate you taking the time today to join us very interesting to hear your story Mm -hmm. so thank you again for sharing that as well yeah Yeah. um so Kathy we would love to get a little bit more info for our listeners of where they can find you where they can find your book all of that good info can you share that sure I'm on Amazon Barnes and Noble any place you can want to find books and you just get on the internet and the name of the book is Misfit in Hell to Heaven Expat. And my um, website is the same thing, just www within the name of the book. And uh, if anyone does buy the book, I'm really encouraging people to leave reviews for every book you read. It's so important. Um, It just takes a couple minutes and uh, the authors are very, very grateful when you do. Amazing. Thank you so much, Kathy. Do you have any final pieces of advice or the wisdom to wrap this up for today? Yes, I do. Uh, For a while, I was still concerned about (laughs) accidentally going back to hell. And I was talking to God and I said, you know, I need some something other than the thou shalt nots. You know, can you just give me a few words of wisdom? So it, it came to me over a series of weeks, but it was to be loving and kind, loving and kind, merciful, forgiving, encouraging, grateful, non-judgmental, and useful. So those were the, the words that I was given. And that's my mantra. And on, on the back of my business cards and my book markers and all of that. So if, if you could just remember to be loving and kind, that's what Jesus taught. That's what all the great leaders taught. That's all we need to do. The world would be a whole different place, everybody, if everybody came from that mindset. Ain't that the truth? Thank you, Kathy. That's beautiful. And we so appreciate your time in joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To support us, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. And we'll see you next week for our next episode of the Soul Connection Duo podcast.